Please hear now God's word. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Iddo, saying, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behold, and behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. Then I said, What are these, my Lord? The angel who talked with me said, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these seventy years? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said to me, Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts, my city shall again overflow with prosperity. And the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these? And he said to me, These are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And he said, And I said, What are these coming to do? And he said, These are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one raised his head, and they have come to terrify them, to cast down the horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah, and to scatter it. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, What are you going to do? He said to me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward. And another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, Run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord. And I will be the glory in her midst. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling.
Amen. And thus ends the reading of God's Word. Please join me in prayer. Father, we come before you this evening expectant to hear from your Word, and we do pray that you would allow us to hear this passage well, that you would allow us to understand what is contained in the prophet Zechariah, and Lord, that you would both comfort and encourage your people through this Word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, If you've ever searched around on uh, Netflix or the internet for movies that are of the apocalyptic genre, you're probably going to come across something that is about the end of the world. Uh, I remember just a a few few days ago looking at apocalyptic movies, and you're probably going to see uh, movie titles where there's someone wearing a gas mask and Uh, The rations of of water and food are very scarce in the world. And I think most people in in America and in the world today, when they hear apocalyptic, they think the end of the world, the end times, and and things of that nature. But we see in the scriptures that when we are reading apocalyptic literature, yes, sometimes it's speaking of the end of the world, the last things, uh, but very often this is a, a type of literature that is meant to encourage the people of God and to comfort them as they're making their pilgrimage uh, to the new heavens, the new earth, and as they make their pilgrimage uh, throughout this world. That's what we see here in Zechariah chapter 1 and chapter 2. Rather than being uh, visions about the end times, this is about uh, Zechariah's own day and in in the coming days after his, his ministry. And so tonight we're going to look at these uh, two passages and see that God gives his people uh, encouragement of his sovereign care. Encouragement of his sovereign care. And our text can be divided into three different portions. First, we have uh, God encouraging his people with his presence in verses 7 through 17 of chapter 1. Uh, Secondly, we're going to see God encourage his people with his protection in verses 18 through the end of chapter 1. And then finally, God encourages his people with his promises in verses 1 through 13, uh, the entirety of chapter 2. And so we'll look at each of these. First, God encouraging his people with with his presence. Now, we begin in the 24th day of the 11th month. So this is just uh, roughly three months after Zechariah's uh, first call to repentance. And uh, it's likely that the people responded very well to Zechariah's preaching, that they indeed uh, put away their sin, that there is a, a thorough repentance. And so now it's time for the encouragement to come. And this is the beginning of several different uh, apocalyptic visions within the book of Zechariah. And as we're reading this text, and we we can definitely feel a a shift in the literature from the first section, the first six verses, uh, to what we just read. And it's important that we are making sure that we're reading this literature with with the right glasses on. Uh, It's often been compared to the difference between uh, reading the front page of the newspaper versus flipping to the cartoon section. Now, that's not at all to say that this isn't uh, meaningful, that this isn't uh, real spiritual truth, but it's it's a very different genre. 
Very different genre than just uh, straightforward prose. And he begins by speaking about how he was, he was at night and he saw these visions. That doesn't necessarily mean that he was uh, sleeping, but it was that at night he received this divine revelation from God. And these uh, images that we see here are meant to convey real spiritual truth uh, to the people of God. So we'll see what, what Zechariah saw. It says that he sees various horses. He saw in the night a man riding on a red horse, standing among the myrtle trees. And then behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. Now, fortunately, every once in a while when you're reading through apocalyptic literature, what the Bible does is it gives you an interpreter. It gives you someone who is going to come alongside you and help you understand what is taking place. And that's what, what happens here. There's an angel who is talking with the prophet Zechariah. And Zechariah is able to ask, what are these, my Lord? And he says, I will show you. Now, this is something that also happens in the, the book of Daniel, where an, an angel helps interpret the passage. And as we study the, the, first two chap, or the, first, the second and third chapter of the book of Revelation, we also saw that there was an angel there to help interpret uh, the language there. And so the, the angel says that these are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. In other words, these, these angels that have been sent out there to point us to the fact that God is the one who is omniscient, that God is the one who is omnipresent, that God knows exactly what is taking place in all of the world. Yes, in and of himself, God is omniscient. He knows all things. Uh, but these angels, these horses, are, are extra tokens given to us to reinforce that spiritual truth. And it says that they've, they've gone out, that they've patrolled all the earth, and that all the earth is at rest. Now, at this particular time, God's people are becoming, coming back from exile. They're coming back into the promised land. And they have just been uh, bludgeoned and bashed by these enemy nations. They've been uh, bludgeoned by nations such as Babylon, as Edom, Philistia, all these different nations that have uh, taken out their wrath upon the people of God. And Zechariah sees that all these nations that have uh, exerted so much hostility against God's people, they're all at ease. They're at ease while God's people are still trying to scramble to get things back together, to get the city up and moving, to rebuild the temple. And you can think what, what great uh, turmoil this would uh, cause within Zechariah. Uh, in the book of Job, in Job chapter 21, Job raises the question, uh, as he is sitting among the ash heap, as he is suffering greatly, he wonders, why is it that the wicked are prospering? Why is it that God isn't judging the wicked? Why am I, a righteous man, sitting here suffering so much and it, it seems that God is not executing justice? This is very similar to what, is, what Zechariah sees at this moment. And next we see that the, it says the, the angel of the Lord in verse 12 begins to intercede on behalf of the people. 
And he raises this, uh, this plea that's very common throughout the Psalms. How long, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these, these 70 years? And at first we might think that this is uh, this intercession, this plea, this prayer is being spoken from a, a position of, of distrust. And yet uh, very often in the Psalms we can see that uh, God's people are crying out how long, but it's, it's not from a, from a position of, of distrust, but rather they're crying out because they know that the Lord can change the situation. And uh, John Calvin is very helpful in pointing out that as this angel is, is crying out and, and pleading before the Lord, that he makes the promises of God the grounds for his plea. How, how does he do that? Well, he's, he's bringing up the fact that God has been angry with his people for these 70 years. And this, this angel, and as well, Zechariah, they know their, their scriptures well. They know that the prophets uh, spoke about how God was indeed going to bring his people into exile for 70 years, but then after he would bring them back, after he would restore them, after he would make sure that they were lifted up and that they were blessed. And so Calvin sees here that uh, the promise of God is being made the grounds for the plea. And that's, that's a good practice when we pray as Christians, to make the promises of God our grounds. Where we, we ransack the Scriptures and we pick out all the promises that have been made to God and for God's people. And we say, Lord, answer this prayer. Answer this promise for me. Please bring it to pass. And so God speaks then uh, words of comfort, words of comfort, gracious words, comforting words uh, to the angel. And there's something very interesting here about the dynamics. Because if you read in verse 15, he says, I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Now we have to ask, is, is God not in sovereign control over all of his creation? Yes. Did God intend for these enemy nations to come and to bring his people into exile? Did he intend that they would bring judgment upon his covenant people? Yes. And yet the Lord is still holding the nations accountable. And so there's this, this wonderful mystery of God's sovereignty and human responsibility where God can even use these, these wicked nations to bring about His good purposes. And this is, this is wonderfully illustrated. This, a key text is in Genesis chapter 50, where Joseph is talking with his brothers and he, he tells them, I know that what you did to me, you meant it for evil. That was your design. That's what you wanted to do. You wanted to hurt me. And yet... It was those very actions by which God was accomplishing His purposes. And God brought good out of those people's evil decisions and choices. And so, as we continue on and look at God's presence, there's this wonderful promise that is, is being brought to the fore, and that is that the Lord is going to 
He has returned to Jerusalem. That a measuring line is going to be stretched out. That is, there's going to be a building project. And he says in verse 17 that once again, his cities, they're going to overflow with people. They're going to overflow with prosperity. Yes, he is going to see to it that he fulfills his promises. Now, it's, it's very interesting that uh, throughout the history of interpretation of this passage, many, many Reformed commentators have seen uh, that the reference to the angel of the Lord may indeed be a reference to the pre-incarnate Christ. And if so, it's, it's wonderful that we see, even here in Zechariah, Christ interceding for His people. That is absolutely wonderful. And nothing has, has changed today. We, we are told that Christ is making continual intercession for His people in the book of Hebrews. Does, does God have complete uh, knowledge and sovereignty over His people right now as they face great trials? Yes. Jesus tells us that even every hair of our head is numbered and it does not fall to the ground apart from the will of God. And if we see these angels being sent out to, to patrol the earth, what does the author to the Hebrews tell us except that angels are sent out in order to help the saints, to help the people of God? So God is encouraging His people with His presence in verses 7 through 17. Now, secondly, we will turn to God's protection in verses 18 through 21. Once again, we, are, we come face to face with some very uh, interesting apocalyptic imagery. And Zechariah sees these four horns. Now when we uh, hear horns, we might think that this is a, a musical horn, a horn that is blown. Uh, and yet, this is rather a horn to uh, the references to su- such as an animal horn. Uh, especially in the book of Daniel, we see uh, various horns that are lifted up that represent hostile powers that are against the people of God. And so he says to the angel, verse 19, what are these? Thankfully, the uh, angel tells them what is, what's going on here. These are the horns that scattered Judah and Israel and Jerusalem. In other words, these horns are representative of the uh, various powers that uh, were against the people of God. We don't necessarily need to uh, take this as a number in which we identify four different nations, but it's, it's a reference to the totality of those nations and powers set against the people of God that scattered them out uh, during, the, during the time of the exile. And he says... In addition to the horns, there are various craftsmen. Uh, These craftsmen are those who are are skilled in uh, wielding different tools. Uh, It's used elsewhere in uh, places where it's speaking of uh, those who have tools for artistry. And the idea is not that they're going to uh, take these horns and make them into something that is is beautiful. Uh, The idea is that these craftsmen are going to smash these horns to pieces, that they're just going to to blow them apart. 
Uh, I remember when I was uh, living up north in Chicago, and I had a, a summer, couple uh, summer jobs where I worked at a at a concrete company. And one of the jobs that I had was to uh, help the drivers pour concrete into these these metal forms, so that you could make uh, very large concrete blocks. And for the most part, it was it was a very easy job, very smooth job. But every once in a while. Uh, the driver would maybe just get a little bit distracted and they would put way too much concrete into these forms and it would spill over. And depending on the day, uh, the, the temperature and the, the exact mixture of concrete, if you don't get a shovel extremely quickly and start scooping that up as fast as you can, it is going to uh, harden and you're going to have a massive puddle of, of rock that is just not going to move. And so what the, what the company gave me was this very large pole. It was about six feet long. It weighed about 50 pounds. And if, if the concrete dried, you could come with this large pole and just smash it down and it would break the concrete to pieces. What God is communicating to his people through uh, this vision is that the days are coming very quickly in which he is going to have these uh, craftsmen smash to bits these various nations. That he's going to see to it that everything that is raised up against uh, God and his kingdom, it is all going to be smashed to pieces. It'll all be driven away. They're not going to stand a chance. And even if it doesn't look like that's a possibility right now, he's saying, take it by faith. And this is something that we, we see uh, not only take place in the Old Testament, it takes place in the New Testament, it's taken place throughout church history. Where nations will rise up and persecute the church of God, but in time, and often in, the, in, in answer to the prayers of His people, God will smash down the enemies and allow the kingdom of God to roll on forward. So that is what He is, is telling His people here. And he does that also for his people. Uh, not that we will never have obstacles, uh, but we know that as we move forward by faith, God clears out the obstacles that are in our way in order for us to bring glory to him and accomplish whatever purposes he has for us. So third and finally, let's examine God's promise that is uh, given through the prophet Zechariah. Once again, Zechariah lifts up his eyes and he sees a man with a, a measuring line in his hand. And this, this measuring line means that there's going to be a, a building project. Something is going to be constructed. And he goes out to measure Jerusalem. And what's very interesting is uh, the prophecy says that uh, Jerusalem is going to be uh, inhabited in verse 4. It's going to be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. He's saying, though Jerusalem looks like a very sad place right now, it's going to be rebuilt and there's going to be so many people. It's going to be overflowing with people, so much so that there can't even be walls. Now, in the, in the ancient world, if you told someone that they're going to live in a city without walls, that would be kind of frightening. Because the walls are going to keep the enemy out. 
And yet, verse 5, God himself says, And I will be to her a wall of fire all around her, declares the Lord. And I will be glory in her midst. And later on in verse 10, he speaks about how he will come into your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall, my, and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Now there are uh, some who would say that when we read this, this prophecy, what we ought to do is look for uh, a rebuilt Jerusalem, a, a rebuilt temple over in the land of Palestine. But the New Testament would say that no, the ultimate fulfillment of this comes in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where the inhabitants of this, of this new uh, Jerusalem, the inhabitants of this city, the inhabitants of the church, it spreads to every single continent. It is, it is on every single continent. There are no walls. People are constantly being gathered in. The nations are, are flooding to it. And the Lord is the one who protects His people. And so the promise is that they are to look for a, a rebuilding of Jerusalem and it's going to far exceed anything that their eyes behold at that particular day. But then secondly, I want us to see that there's a, there's a command for a specific group within the post-exilic community. Starting in verse 6, he says, Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have spread abroad you as the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. Now it would appear that who is the, the group that is being addressed here is uh, those who are still living in the, in the region of Babylon. If you recall, there are quite a bit of, of people among the exiles who returned back to Jerusalem. They came back from Babylon but not everyone. And yet there is a command here that they would up and flee from Babylon. Now why is that? Well, God says that He is going to shake His hand over this, this region and it's going to be destroyed. That God, as He breaks down all the nations that have been hostile to His people, uh, the, the region of Babylon is going to include that. And if you don't want to take part in the judgment that is coming upon Babylon, you must flee. You need to get out. You need to return back to Zion. And the, the New Testament authors, very interestingly, they, they carry over this, this language. If you're reading in Revelation chapter 18, verse 4, uh, the prophet John is, is speaking of uh, spiritual Babylon. And he says, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. And elsewhere in the New Testament, the, the apostles call Christians that they would flee from the world, that they would flee away from sin, that they would flee away from all the things that are set against the kingdom of God, that they would remember that their citizenship is in heaven. And so the, the call is clear both for, for New Testament Christians as well as those in Zechariah's day that they are to get out while they still have time. 
that they don't allow the lure of, of the ease and the comfort and the prosperity to, to keep you from making the, the move uh, back to where you need to go. And you can imagine, there may be some who were sitting in, in Babylon and they said, well, we've, we've been here for many years. We've, we've had our families here. Maybe we've even started businesses. Why would we want to return back to Jerusalem? So we are not to allow the lure and siren call of the world, the flesh, and the devil to entice us back to that. That's something that the author to the Hebrews is very, very clear, that uh, those in the first century, they ought not to go back to Judaism, but rather they ought to move all the way in faith and repentance uh, to Jesus Christ. That they would drop every weight of sin which clings so closely to them. Those in Zechariah's day need to remember that they uh, must be those who see their lives as, as pilgrims. And I remember uh, reading in J.I. Packer's book, The Quest for Godliness, he talks about how the, the Puritans were those who lived uh, life uh, packed up and ready to go, uh, meaning that they were always ready to, to die, that they were always ready to be called home by God uh, on His timing and not theirs. And that they were those who held the, the things of this world very loosely. And I remember speaking with a, with a man a few years ago. He was a man who, as, as I got to know him over the years, he was marked by a great deal of, of piety. He was marked by a great deal of godliness, of holiness. And it seemed that everything that he engaged in in life, it was, it was just blessed by God. And so there was one day where I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to pull this man aside, sit down, talk with him. I just wanted to know, uh, yes, I understand that our, our holiness, it is, it is something that God works in us, but at the same time, we have a responsibility to, to pursue it. We have a responsibility to pursue uh, obedience. And I just wanted to know, what are some things that you could point to uh, that have, have led to, to, to your growth in holiness? And this was a, a man who he had got converted uh, later on in life. And the answer that he gave me is, is always going to stick with me. Uh, he said that as soon as he became a believer, he, he instantly knew that the world had nothing to offer him. That the world had nothing to offer him and he needed to, to live out his days according to God's word. Not to be distracted by, by any of the, the petty things, not to go off and, and pursue fame, all these different things, but to, to live for the Lord entirely. And I, I wonder sometimes if we, uh, within the church, yes, we were striving always to, to be those who are walking in holiness, we're striving to put, put sin to death, but Every once in a while, there's just those, there's one or two areas in our life where we're just we're hesitant to turn it over to the Lord. We say, you can rule in all different areas of my life, just don't, not that one. And I wonder if we can sometimes become distracted and we say, yes, we want to, we want to hold on tightly to the, the benefits of Zion, but we also just want a little bit of the comforts of Babylon. In these chapters, we see that God 
has sovereign care for His people. It is meant to encourage the people as they have come back into the land. And ultimately, we see that all of these promises find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Indeed, Zechariah has been called one of the most Christ-saturated Old Testament prophetic books. Where, where do we see the, the promises of God fulfilled? Paul tells us all the promises of God, they're yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Where do we find true protection against our greatest enemy? Well, John tells us in 1 John chapter 5, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. And finally, where do we see the promise of God's presence and dwelling with us most clearly fulfilled but in John chapter 1, where it speaks about Jesus Christ coming and dwelling with His people, of, of dwelling with them, of tenting with them, of tabernacling with them. And so as we look for the fulfillment of these promises, we look to Jesus Christ. And fortunately, we, we stand at a position of redemptive history where there's more to come. When Christ will return, where all of the land shall be holy to the Lord, where the city shall go on forever and ever, and it will be uh, larger than we perhaps ever imagined. And so we look forward to that day and we pray, Lord Jesus, come. Let's close in prayer. Father, we do thank you for the prophet Zechariah, for the great words of encouragement which he brought to the post-exilic community. And Lord, the words of encouragement that it brings to us today. Lord, as we're able to look back to the cross, as we're able to look back to the apostolic age and see the wonderful ways in which you have brought your kingdom into this world. So we pray that you would allow us to place our full trust and confidence in you. And Lord, that we would, would indeed continue to look for that city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.